comfort. O comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem. How wonderful are those words. And we love them particularly, I think, and are most familiar with them in the King James Version. You've heard them in church. You've heard them preached. You've heard them sung brilliantly in Handel's Messiah. Comfort ye, comfort ye my people. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem. And isn't that what many of us seek when we come to church? In the midst of the strom and drum of the world, in the midst of our hurried lives, we seek a word of comfort, assurance that God is in heaven and most is right with the world. We seek a place of peace and rest and promise. We seek comfort. Many of us grew up with an image of Jesus as that comfort. Jesus, the Good Shepherd, depicted in our nursery or first grade Sunday school room, holding, as Isaiah's passage says in its latter part, taking us to the bosom and rocking us safely in the arms of God, or rescuing us, that image of Jesus with the lost lamb wrapped around his neck, being brought safely home. Comfort, comfort ye my people. But the world is not always right. The ways of the world can be unjust and disruptive and chaotic. And the bounty which God offers for all the people can be hoarded by a few. So God sends God's messengers, the prophets, to point out that our way is not straight, that God's ways are above our ways, to remind us that we have forgotten about a greater justice. <clears throat> you know, when I was in seminary and training to be a pastor, I remember them saying, if in your pastoring your comfort is always soothing words, you're not serving your people well. Because if they keep on crooked ways, they and others will be hurt. 
What I found absolutely fascinating, and I've shared this before, is that image of the shepherd and the shepherd's crook is often a symbol of the comfort. But that word comfort in Hebrew is not named after God's warm and comforting bosom. The word comes from the pointy end of the shepherd's crook. Sometimes the comfort the sheep need and God's people need is a prodding. Things are not right. They're not straight. The bounty is not being shared with all. Another form of God's comfort. Several weeks ago, a friend of mine went to the eye doctor. She needed new glasses, and the doctor realized there was an abrasion on her eye and prescribed a little bottle of antibiotics so that it would heal safely and leave no scar. She took the prescription and went to the pharmacist. The prescription was $80, and she was outraged. What would a poor person do with this, she said. They would have to give up lodging or heat or food for a week. She went on the internet and found it for $12.95. She was outraged at the way the world was not being straight and caring. When we write our politicians who are making up the budgets for this world. Are we asking them to make sure the bounty is shared with all God's people? Are all the cuts going to be on the backs of the poor? Are we helping prepare the way? God's way. The other thing that I have learned from John the Baptist is the amazing way he pointed beyond himself. It has become a prime spiritual principle for me. You know, I get to stand up in front of people almost every Sunday. They give me fancy clothes to wear. You know, someplace, sometimes they even ask me to special meals and they give me the first word and the last word. 
And if in all of that, I'm just pointing to myself, I'm not serving God or God's people. How do we learn to point beyond ourselves as John the Baptist did to the truth, to what God is doing? Beautiful steeple on St. Stephen's. Where does it point? And can we join in that effort? You know, yesterday I had the privilege of officiating at the funeral of Viola Langton. I didn't know her, so I asked her children and grandchildren to help me celebrate her life. Viola had an impressive business career. As a matter of fact, she's the first woman to graduate from NYU with a finance degree. And so her sons talked about her career. But then one of the sons stood up to talk about what it was like to grow up in the home that she and their dad created. And he said, you know, I could pull the wool over my dad's eyes, but never over my mom's. I would start relating some fib to her and her mouth would have this strange sort of pucker and then she'd touch my shoulder and say, Raymond, your voice has that hollow sound. Uh, why don't you start over again and this time tell the truth? He said he experienced unconditional love from her, but she corrected him every time she thought he had gone wrong, told him what was right, the way things should be done, never, ever derided him for making a mistake, never put him down, loved him, but pointed to what is right. Can we do that in our homes, in our communities? Are we providing that for all the children of Ridgefield? Are we pointing beyond our needs to those others that God loves? Let me finish with a story. Some of you have heard this story before. It's been made into a folk song. It's a story about the Special Olympics. And they had been going on all one summer day. And people then finally prepared for the ultimate event, the 100-yard dash. And 10 athletes lined up at the starting line. 
got ready in the blocks. The gun was raised and fired, and like a shot, all of them took off towards the finish line. After about five or six steps, ah! One of them cried out as he stumbled on the cinders and lay in pain. First one and then another and then all of the athletes stopped and went back to comfort him. Tell him it would be okay. One of them even kneeled down and kissed his wound. And then they helped him up and all ten of them walked together towards the finish line. As it says in the song, ten gold medals were given out that day and we surely experienced Special Olympics. Competition is important in this world and we need to teach it to our children, but not to the point that other children become their enemies. There are things more important. The community we build together and the care for everybody's home